you're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome. You are listening to I Might Be Wrong. I, of course, have Henry with me, but this week we're joined by our returning guest, Tempest Rose of the House of Burlesque. How are you doing, Tempest? I'm very well. I'm slightly hungover because it is Sunday, but I'm functioning and I'm ready to row about (laughs) foul music. (laughs) You, you're back. You're back doing shows and things, aren't you now? Yeah, a few. I work Saturdays at Bunga Bunga uh, for the Buff Boy Brunch, which is an experience. <laughs> I don't know what any of that <laughs> That's means. The That's the best Straight over my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me describe this to you, Henry. And I'll preface this by saying it's quite magical. I don't know. You might listen to what I'm about to say and think that it's bad, but it's great. <laughs> so basically, you've just packed a room full of maybe like mostly women age 21 to 27, all dressed up in their ASOS finest, and they get 90 minutes of unlimited, really sugary prosecco and pizza, and then just lots of hot boys doing circus acts and boylesque, and I just get to sing and introduce <laughs> them all, and it's fucking hilarious. Sounds like it's chaos. So fun. Yeah, it's absolute chaos. It it's runs during the day, obviously. So we finish at about six o'clock ish and it feels like two in the morning and then you get outside and there's just normal people going about their everyday Saturday daytime and you're like, oh my God, I feel like I've been in a nightclub for seven hours. Wow. Wow. That's something I just don't even know what that would, uh, that's just completely new to me. I didn't know that kind of thing existed. It really does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure you're the target audience or have ever been the target audience. No, and that's okay. You know, the, that sounds amazing. But yeah, from the, <laughs> but I'll, I'll just keep that image in my head and we'll, get, we'll leave it there. Cool. Oh, yeah. M- maybe later I'll tell you some funny stories. <laughs> they're, just, they're fucking hilarious. Do you know, they're quite sweet. Normally a cabaret crowd is like maybe age between 30 and 50 traditionally. So it's a much younger audience. And it's just, I find them really interesting. They're very sweet. They're so nice to me. They didn't buy a ticket to watch me sing songs at them and talk about boy bands from the 90s, none of whom they've heard of, which really disturbs me. And they're so lovely. (laughs) Well, that's good. You're introducing them to both a new musical experience and also it's it's a gateway it's a gateway drug into the rest of the world that, that they've yet to explore the 90s boy bands is probably quite a long way adrift from where we're going today isn't it <laughs> henry's bringing <laughs> us back on track look at that yes this is for me an interesting choice knowing you as i have over the last 10 years this is an album that came out before we knew each other and isn't one that I would necessarily have associated with you. So tell us, who who have you brought to the table? What are we going to talk about today? I have brought to the table the controversial yet revered hip-hop classic, The Marshall Mathers LP by Eminem, released the year I left school, 2000. Fantastic. Yeah, I don't know that I'd listened to this for probably two decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I certainly haven't listened to most of the less well-known stuff on here, I think, friends had given me mixtapes with some of the bigger tracks on but I was I just wasn't a hip-hop fan back then really so not something that I I'd massively listened to how did you get into it was it just suddenly the mainstream was awash with Slim Shady and you just picked up on that yeah my someone at my very private all girls middle class school got a copy of the album and then we were all obsessed with it which I think is funny in its own right just absolutely I went to a super feminist school as well so yeah again it's just 
it's a, it was a weird time. Everyone went crazy. It was the millennium. Um, just absolutely was entranced by this album. I listened to it nonstop. I even took it into my day, not day job, my weekend job. Weekend job, I worked in a shop, which I've talked about in Ginsel. So I went, took it into my witchy shop and made my boss listen to Stan because I just never heard anything like it. And he was deeply confused as to why I was playing his track in the middle of the workday. Um, but yeah, just really, really, for me, it's interesting. Like I did then, I got really into the Slim Shady EP. I listened to a lot of his stuff. I saw Eminem live and it was a gateway to listening to lots of other hip hop artists because when you then start to listen to people like Snoop Dogg and stuff, you can see the references, the genre references that exist within that album. Um, and so, although there are huge negatives which we'll get into about the album's lyrical content overall I think it had a beneficial impact on my interest in hip-hop as a genre and I think it really piqued the interest of the the British mainstream in terms of having hip-hop suddenly be part of of that because until probably maybe five ten years after that we never really had British hip-hop that was hitting the mainstream. It's all like underground scenes, particularly in London, like we've talked about when Craig's been on the podcast. And it's that combined with the fact that this is a white rapper and we hadn't seen a white rapper since Vanilla Ice in, <laughs> in the mainstream. And also Eminem was bigger here than he was in the US in a way. Like he he hit the charts higher oh, really? here than he did in the US charts. I, I did a little bit of digging actually. And, and you mentioned kind of white white rappers and Vanilla Ice did it in 1990 and if you go back another 10 years you've got Blondie when they did um, Rapture and Blondie was she name-checked Grand, Grandmaster Flash who was really in the underground and that brought him into the I guess kind of mainstream because um, Blondie's rap back in the 80s was a massive game changer I don't know if you've read about this but because she got to number one I think in the in the Billboard charts that influenced a lot of other people who, a lot of black artists who said they'd never heard rapping on the radio and they went to find out more about it and that kind of grew the scene as well. So yeah, there's this kind of history of um, this kind of crossover, I guess, of of cultures and it seems to happen once every 10 years. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, the Blondie phenomenon... I read a really interesting book charting the history of hip hop and interlacing it with what was going on in society at the time. It's absolutely fascinating. It's a heavy read because the sheer breadth of the research is absolutely astounding. But yeah, the kind of New York art house scene parties where early hip hop would meet people like Blondie, who were sort of, you know, these Mm. like pop stars, but still kind of really in with the underground scene. It's fascinating. And I'd forgotten about that, actually. I mean, again, it's that, you know, (laughs) white privilege. Um, And, you know, people get very mad about that with Eminem. But I don't think you can argue that Eminem isn't authentically a proper rapper and um, rather than a white person parading, kind of costuming, performatively rap, you might get with somebody like Iggy Azalea who you can be like, sit down. (laughs) Um, Whereas Eminem is the real thing. It's probably worth calling out his discovery with Dr. Dre. I mean, Dr. Dre found him. And there was a mm. quote from Dr. Dre because people said, you know, you're working with a white rapper. What do you think about that? And quote from him said, I don't give a fuck if you're purple. If you can kick it, I'm working with you. <laughs> and he basically said, this guy's got talent and and grabbed him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Eminem existed before Slim Shady did. So he'd already had a couple of albums or EPs coming out prior to that and he's he's someone who grew up in the very poor parts of Detroit which is a very poor city in the US anyway and so th- this is 
like you say, it's not a middle class white person. It's not it's not a vanilla ice just using connections to get a name for themselves. This is someone who's had to work really hard at their craft to even get noticed in a scene where he probably isn't going to get taken seriously a lot of the time. I watched a couple of interviews with him, which were really interesting, where he talked about the fact that he felt like every single line when he was rapping, because he'd go on stage and you'd get maybe two or three bars to do something with. And if you weren't hitting really impactful lines on every single one of those you'd get booed off stage you'd be gone straight away they were an incredibly unforgiving scene so to be able to stand up and survive in that shows that he's done the work he's put the effort in and and deserves to be taken seriously and like you say if dre's on his side then you can't really argue with dre (laughs) no one should ever argue with dr dre (laughs) well that's i mean in in my head Dr. Dre's work preceded it. I mean, his 2001 album, I don't know if you've listened to that a lot, but that album for me is the absolute pinnacle of kind of the end of the 90s, early 2000s. It's got like the next episode and Forgot About Dre and all those songs. And you're right, you kind of mentioned it before. Snoop Dogg's there, Eminem pops up and it's this kind of little nucleus of of, of artists who were, uh, I mean, it was a bit of a, it's almost a little mini revolution really because the music scene got washed with all of this stuff it was it was huge at the time Mm. well that's another interesting part of this is the fact that there was more hip-hop obviously in the u.s than there was here but most of the scene at this point both in the u.s and the uk was heavily dominated by girl bands boy bands pop princesses the kind of people that eminem then rails against in this album which again is i don't know that people now unless they were paying attention at the time would really be aware of the fact that you know you've got this very poppy very easy listening thing and all of a sudden you've got Marshall Mathers and Eminem and Slim Shady appearing into that and just ripping it to shreds and being absolutely I mean this is the thing that strikes me about this album is how furious is about everything particularly that scene yeah just the the aggression on the album it it's really exciting in lots of ways. Like it's adrenaline fueled. That's what mm-hmm. Eminem does incredibly well with his lyrics. And I think his he's lyrically so good that actually, I mean, the music is pretty crappy, most of it. Um, <laughs> but it took me years to really notice that because you're just not listening to it. It's just really there to support him. The, you know, the only thing you're listening to is the rhythm of the words and what he's saying and the way that he delivers it, which is incredibly skillful. Yeah. And his vocals are amazing like you the actual sound of his voice as he's rapping is incredibly distinctive and you need that as a rapper you think about people like dre and snoop dogg and and kano and those guys they they have voices that you instantly recognize and if you don't have that you'll sink very quickly into the mire of all the other sound alikes his his voice is funny as well because he adds sounds and he it's almost like he's all these multiple personas kind of pop out of his head at different times he kind of squawks and makes kind of all sorts of funny noises alongside the rapping as well which is was a bit new and odd for me when I first heard it It was like who is this guy why is your voice changing like this it it, it was it was quite ear-catching I guess yeah it's very theatrical I wonder if that's part of the thing that I loved about it at that age like yeah he is acting you know he's got these different personas he is kind of story building and it's incredibly entertaining (laughs) you just have to listen to him talking about raping women for a while which isn't great (laughs) okay so this is somewhere we should go with this particularly as you are 
probably one of the more influential feminist influences on my life in terms of conversations (laughs) that we've had over the years and just very interesting in-depth discussions. And we were chatting before we got started on here and you said you loved this when it came out, you really engrossed by it. But if it came out now, you'd be pretty furious about some of the content. I'd lose my shit. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the good news is, is I don't think we would get an album like this not with the same impact. You can't say, obviously, people still make misogynistic music and people still have horrendous <laughs> lyrical content. But, you know, I think that Eminem got given quite a big pass for a lot of it due to talent. But also, you know, I was refreshing, you know, the critiques of the album when it came out. And a lot of musical journalists are men. I'm going to hazard a guess that a lot of them are white men and a lot of them are straight men. And I do think there's this privilege of like, you know, it's very easy to kind of disassociate from and kind of detach yourself from when you're analyzing content like this because it's hardly ever aimed at you Mm. um so i think it's very easy to be like oh he's saying it for effect oh it's the theatricality oh it's his way of satirizing society it's him you know talking about because the other i guess you know context at the time is this is a period if i remember correctly where you know there were endless discussions about like what is music doing to for violent crime what effect does video games have on violent crime we talked about tarantino earlier like you know all of these things are poisoning children and this is why society is so violent and eminem is trying to say like this is bullshit you know (laughs) cutting funding for schooling you know people not parenting their children properly like these are what's causing problems in society it doesn't get fucking matter what I say on a rap record that's not going to make a difference to somebody who was going to do these things anyway they just it's just your excuse it's you pointing the finger at me because you're corrupt and so you know that is true but also I do think it makes a difference that a lot of people reviewing the work you know weren't often the people being subjected to these violent lyrics Mm. yeah and I listening back to it had similar kind of it's difficult to know where I sit on this and I'm still not sure where I sit on this because Eminem is very clear that Slim Shady is a caricature he's this cartoonish ridiculous overtly violent backlash towards his conservative American critics it's not Eminem saying these things it's it's slim shady but I don't know how much of a pass you get for creating this incredible hyper violent character that's very Tarantino-ish in the way you're you're putting this stuff across I don't know It's, it's difficult right how much can you separate the art from the artist yeah and also if you're a 14 15 year old listening to this stuff can you work that out the dissociation between him kind of parodying a a nasty person and that nasty person being being a thing i don't know i i I don't think he can get that much of a free pass he did back then he totally did and and the music industry loved it but you're right right now you probably couldn't get away with that well he he even alludes to that with kim and stan where kim is the slim shady version of him kidnapping and killing his then girlfriend wife partner whatever she was at the time and stan is him trying to be clear to a fan that it's not me like i'm not saying this stuff i'm doing this for the shock effect not because i would ever do something like this and those two songs are sort of the two sides of the coin but again like you say there's plenty of people out there who did take him seriously at the time yeah it's really tricky and i'm not sure we can ever really come to a conclusive decision on it because i don't think he should get a pass for that 
it's still an incredible album and he's a very talented rapper. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to it again yesterday, you know, listening to some of it, obviously is deeply fucking uncomfortable in a way that I don't know. I don't really remember how I felt about it at the time. I probably, obviously I would have had the whole album because back then, you know, we did buy whole albums. You didn't just pick and choose the songs that you wanted to download. I would have listened to some songs more than others. And I I probably would have said, yeah, it's gross, but I wouldn't have taken it particularly seriously, which is crazy. I mean, it's deeply homophobic as well. And like, that's not okay. And transphobic (laughs) and basically everything phobic is racist in places. And I don't think racist i think that's the one thing that that actually he doesn't really get into and i think that's probably because he was very you know authentically embedded in hip-hop community which is a black art form Uh, i'm not saying there's no racism on it but i think actually of all the horrendous isms in there (laughs) the racism score is probably fairly low (laughs) which i think is interesting that's fair i was just blown away listening it to it again by how shocked i was like i right now listening to it today it was like wow there's some really offensive stuff on here which at the time my brain didn't pick up on or it just thought okay well that's just an Eminem song but coming back and I don't know whether that's through a a lens of the 20s and things have changed and now you kind of can't say that stuff it is different but yeah I I think you're right with the the racism point I, I don't think he was I mean he couldn't get away with it although interestingly you listen to like Snoop Dogg now and He'll still have a pop at Eminem. He's still saying he's not one of the best because he's a white guy. And so there's there's still this tension. And I don't know whether that's just Snoop Dogg saying his thing because he's Snoop Dogg and that's just... <laughs> he likes to, to court controversy. I thought one thing was interesting... There was the whole furore over whether or not he'd be allowed into Canada, wasn't there, <laughs> yes. um, to do a concert. And the bit that I just fucking loved, which again, I'm not going to use kind of in his defence, basically, uh, so there's a big argument, of course, like, should they let him into Canada? And some people were saying no, because of his lyrical content, his hate speech. And somebody suggested that the government let Eminem perform, then prosecute him for violating Canada's hate crime laws, despite the fact that Canada's hate crime legislation doesn't include violence against women. I just thought I was so fucking brilliant because in a way, like that's sort of the paradox of the whole situation or the hypocrisy, isn't it? Like you've got a whole load of people losing their shit at Eminem who don't actually really care about women's safety at the end of the day. They they don't give a fuck. Um, And so that's kind of the punky part where with Eminem, I'm like, yeah, do you know what? You say what you fucking want because the real issue is that, for example... Canada's hate crime legislation doesn't include violence against women. Like, if you really are angry about violence against women, about homophobia, stopping Eminem putting some shit on a song is the least of your fucking worries, which I guess is what Eminem is saying. But at the same time as me saying that, I still don't give it a pass because it's fucking horrendous, you know. <laughs> it's one of those it's complicated situations. But I I didn't yeah. know that about the Canada thing. That's that's a really interesting point. Yeah, and that might well be different now because, again, you know, they're talking about it at the time, but it seems wild. But that's just, in a nutshell to me, encapsulates the hypocrisy of a lot of people's anger against Eminem. Yeah, and I think the complexity of the discussion is reflected in the complexity of the work as well because there's a lot going on here, even within this one album. And I say even within this one album. It's, it's an hour and 15 minutes long. It's a huge, long piece of work. And there's so much depth to a lot of this stuff in different ways and he's it almost feels quite 
all over the place at times. Like he'll he'll have a track where he's just messing around and having a bit of fun, and then he'll have something like Kim that's incredibly dark and violent, but still has these moments of humor, weirdly black humor, but humor still. And then something that's a bit more lighthearted and just easy. Go- like it's all over the place. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of that. And then, you know, on top of that, you'll get then get the songs in it where he's just completely analysing his own fame at a level of awareness that I think, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of artists don't necessarily have. And, and a lot of artists who create that kind of shock content don't necessarily have either. That, that's quite a hip hop thing, though. There's a lot of that self-reflection you hear it a lot especially come the music coming out of the 80s and the 90s where these artists were suddenly becoming big and they were looking back at their roots which really were like Compton's a nasty place and you look at Dr Dre and that lot coming out of there and you hear them change and they progress and they come out of this this real poverty and so I guess he's doing that but for a I guess a more I'm not going to say middle class American background but but a at least he's trying to talk to that kind of audience rather than, you know, the, 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 those groups in the States who were, I guess, more aware of the hip hop crowd. Well, I guess it's that thing of like, you know, when you grow up in violence and poverty, the ludicrousness of people, you know, higher up the class food chain being angry at you saying something, but not being angry at things actually happening. And, you know, people like Eminem do grow up and, you know, most of the hip hop rappers and that community who grew up in extreme violence and poverty sometimes and and all they're doing is kind of commenting on the world around them and and joking about it and analyzing it and for somebody to be more angry at those lyrics than they're angry at the circumstances in which we make people live is stupid yeah totally agree we we should dive into the actual album itself yes there's obviously some very famous tracks in here um which we can talk about but are there specific favorites that you have that are maybe less top of people's lists um let me have a little scroll down i mean kill you is brilliant that's quite a big one but it is brilliant (laughs) (laughs) yeah it that's very much the announcement that this album is not going to apologize for the last album at all (laughs) a criminal's great as well and that's maybe not one of the big ones i have you listened to the slim shady ep Mm -hmm. i know it's not the uh album that we're currently talking about, but I'm always really struck by Rock Bottom mm-hmm. on there. And I think like a lot of this album makes more sense or did to me when I went back and listened to the Slim Shady EP to understand that, you know, this is the I'm Famous Now album, isn't it? Yeah. Or just before I get famous. And then you go back and listen to the earlier stuff and I think you get a much more real sense of like, what is the pain behind a lot of what informs mm-hmm. this? Um, and so you know that changed the way i felt about a lot of this album but i think probably stan of course i mean it's just it's incredible i just don't think i'd ever heard anything like that had there been stuff like that before um well it depends i guess do you mean in terms of the the sampling with dido or more the storytelling side of things yeah the storytelling element of it uh some of the new york scenes very storytelling in that way but but to have that level, as you say, it's going back to the awareness of fame and that impact on his fans and how his fans treat him and how he treats them is fascinating. I remember Stan coming on the radio and noticing it because of the lyrics and often, I guess I like to pick up on the tune first, but it, it is so, it's so 
thought-provoking i guess you kind of you you listen to the whole thing as a story and yeah i i, I think you're right i think it was pretty game-changing for the time in a way that his earlier songs like i guess some of his bigger hits um the earlier earlier tunes like the real slim shady they were kind of just kind of ear candy whereas stan was just a little bit more deep i'm gonna make a confession mm. i only realized probably about six months ago that stan in terms of I stand something is because of this track. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, literally no yes. idea where it was. Hang on, so I haven't even realised this yet. So I'm going to have a revelation right now. Explain. <laughs> so the kids today talk about how they stand something in terms of being massively obsessed with a thing. And it's huh? them being stan in this song. Really? As in being hugely obsessed to the point where like that's the most important thing to them. Yeah, that's mad. I'd forgotten about that. That's a really good thing to bring up because also they use it because people be like, oh, I, I stand Tempest, mm-hmm. like I stand House of Burlesque. It's supposed to be like, uh, like there's a, I don't know, there's no undertone to it in the way that obviously right. stand, it's a really dark story. And when I found that out, I had to ask somebody what it meant um, and explained it to me. And I just thought that was wild because I cannot imagine a song or an album that this generation of kids would hate more than <laughs> this whole piece of work. So I just was like, it's, you did what? Have you listened to it? <laughs> wow I, yeah that's that's news to me as well fantastic yeah it took me a while because i i just assumed that it was some you know gen z thing that i just was too old to understand and then when someone i can't even remember like it was in an article somewhere i was like what wait what that's that's where you've picked this up from but yeah the fact that it still has implications for generations beyond when it was released just shows how much of an impact this album had yeah, 20 years ago. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. I'm so happy you brought that up. That's just one of life's real gems. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Any other tracks that people should dive into on here? Oh, God. I mean, so much of it's so good. What's the one I'm thankful for every fan that I get, but I can't take a shit in the bathroom without <laughs> someone standing by it? No, I won't sign your autograph. You call me an asshole. I'm glad. Like, I just, I find that so fascinating. Like, to be able to so succinctly capture this moment of like, feeling imprisoned by something that you love like chasing fame so hard and then finding it unbearable and despising it but obviously but I'm really grateful it just I don't know has anyone captured celebrity <laughs> so succinctly and entertainingly and aggressively <laughs> it's just really quite magical he's an amazing amazing writer yeah and you almost wonder whether that's part of the reason why American culture was so angry at him was because you weren't supposed to say that fame could be really shit at times. You were just mm. supposed to aspire to be famous and then everything would be wonderful. That's the American dream, right? Yes, that's say, very yeah. true. Don't, don't, don't piss on the American dream. It's it's sacred over there. It's you sacred. don't like it when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's wild. Um, yeah, those are probably my standout tracks of the usual ones. But I just, yeah, I mean, it's worth listening to all of it. 
you know, some people nowadays might prefer to skip past things like Kim. I'm not sure there's much artistic value in songs like Kim. And as the whole story, mm-hmm. isn't there about how, you know, when he got back together with her, he's like, I wanted to write you a love song, but it felt weird. So I wrote you this. This is how much I love you, that I would so be so obsessive about it. I would write this whole track, which is just some real toxic boyfriend shit, isn't it? Like, I loved you so much. I dedicated a whole song to you on my album. Sure, I'm viciously murdering you in it. Um, <laughs> as fuck. I think I find funny about Eminem as well is it seems like Eminem is a very kind of politically conscious person trying to do good things in the world. And I'm really fascinated by what this age Eminem would think of like nearly 50 year old Eminem now. (laughs) Because he released a whole thing for the election, didn't he? American election, not this one, the one gone, the one before where he was trying to like galvanize young people into voting and stuff. I just think he's a really fascinating human being. I wouldn't have wanted to meet him, though, <laughs> at this age. But this is the thing. He is such an interesting human being. There's a story that I got from the perspective of, I think, his producer, Mike uh, Elizondo, who talks about him. Some days he'll come in and he's a big prankster, he recalls. Very lighthearted, poking fun, little roasting sessions with the musicians and engineers. And then there were times when maybe something went on at home and it was a tougher day and he'd just channel it. You'd get some of the humorous side of Marshall and the more intense and serious sides. He channeled all sides of where he was at in his life. And I think that's the thing about Marshall Mathers as an individual is that there's so much going on there and you can see how much he's fighting different parts of his personality at times and you know trying to lean into stuff but having other things he's got a lot of demons I would think as a human and he's not afraid to show that which I admire yeah you can't create a character like that without having some experience of it I mean some of that stuff is is dark and he's not just doing that for fame and and like oh I'll just create this this thing without some feeling behind it I think that's why I like the previous album contextually because you know you do get this real sense of like trauma and poverty I mean his mother was a drug addict is that right you got him hooked on drugs who then sued him later on I mean you know the circumstances of Eminem's childhood are fucking horrendous some of which of course is reflected in 8 Mile which is a great film I mean you know if you listen to a song like Lose Yourself which obviously because it was a movie track has much less of the extreme rampant homophobia (laughs) and you know female violence in it objectively that is an absolutely sensational piece of pop rap to me like it keeps building it keeps building it keeps building and again Mm. obviously it's not on this album but um, you know for people who are like Eminem who criticized Eminem for just being famous for shock tactics so like okay well go away and listen to this where none of that's really present this is just a fucking great piece of work Mm -hmm. and how much can we blame someone who grows up in extreme poverty for not being a very middle class <laughs> puppies and kittens person. You know? right. He says himself that he always feels like he's been chasing the Marshall Mathers LP, but mm, I read that, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, part of the issue that he has is just that he's he's lost some of that rage. He's not that furious human anymore. He got some of that out of his system with with this album in in the years after that, and so you know it feels like. <laughs> Like you say, you come from that level of poverty and violence and his dad wasn't around when he was a kid and he used to hate his dad. And then he found out that all the stories his mum was telling about him, his dad were exaggerated or potentially just completely made up. 
And so there's a lot of anger directed at people who are supposed to be the closest people to him in his life. And that takes time to work through. And part of this music is just him working through that stuff. Yeah. And for me, the story of Eminem is also this thing of like, you kind of have to suffer to make great art, which is something that Lolo would get very annoyed about on Jinsol, this idea like artists have to suffer as a kind of an excuse to treat them like shit. But, you know, <laughs> people write great albums, get rich, get happy, and then write shit albums. And that's just really what happens. <laughs> yeah. I've listened to some of his more recent stuff. Not a lot. I've never been a massive, massive Eminem fan, partly because... His sound very much comes from the the more gangster rap scene, and I've just never been a massive gangster rap fan generally. But there's an intensity in this album that's visceral. You can really feel it, but that's not quite there in some of the later stuff. He's still technically very impressive, and his his style is incredible. But yeah, there's not that emotional rawness that you get in this album. Yeah, well, I guess if you've confronted a lot of those demons and just turns your soul out to the public in earlier albums then maybe he's has chilled out a bit i mean it's only it's probably quite a natural thing that if you can tell everyone where you came from and and you can start to make peace with it then because i haven't listened to many of the recent albums i've heard some of his work and you're right technically if you hear interviews with him he'll still throw in some freestyle rapping every now and then just to kind of you can hear him speak and interviewers often ask him about the the way that he comes up with some of these these words and the bars, as you say, which you said, actually, Rich, you weren't allowed to talk about bars in the last episode where we had with them. Um, you've been told about this. Spitting bars, that's it. Not allowed to talk about that. I'm not allowed to say it because I'm too middle class. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was basically the, the, that was the accusation. But he's got that talent where he can just drop that into conversation. It must be, it must be quite fun to be able to do that. He reminds me... Of Macklemore, who's, of course, I guess the next generation of like a white rapper who gets amazing stardom. And I really like Macklemore. And there's lots of connections there for me. Macklemore is much more woke than Eminem in terms of like, he'd never write a song about killing his girlfriend. But they're both great storytellers and they both talk about addiction in a very, very accessible, real way. And so for me, there's lots of reflections between the two. I don't know if you listen to much Macklemore. Uh, no, don't know at all. I will go and oh, go and have listen, a listen to the heist. Okay. It's a great album. Cool. But yeah, you talk about the way he is able to do that on the fly. He's an incredibly creative individual. I mean, this is an hour and 15 minutes that was cut down from something like 40 tracks that they had recorded over this time. And the real Slim Shady was hours before the deadline in terms of creating that and it's probably the most well-known track on here other than stan which i find incredible that it's just like oh yeah we'll just throw one more thing out why not really so so that isn't a track that he had for ages in his back pocket that just nope. wow okay i think was that the track in response to the fact that they sort of heard the album the record company and were like look but none of these there's no standout hit like how are we gonna um yeah top on my name is like and is that is that one of the tracks that he was just like, all right, fucking have this? <laughs> it, it might well be that. I don't remember that being part of the interview that I was reading, but it's certainly, I read, I guess, in Spitballing, this was something they came up with. Uh, it's also a response to a lot of the media criticism and all that kind of stuff that was coming in at the time. So I'm guessing all of that stuff probably came together in his head to piss him off again, again. 
Um, I think with the culture of rap battles, you were talking earlier about mm-hmm. you know, like oh, every line has to hit because you've got such a short period of time. I mean, going through that as part of your sort of professional training, as it were, or like on the job training means that you can turn out things fucking quickly. Like your brain is just firing at all times to put things together in the heat of the moment, which I suppose then doesn't surprise me that he was able to just, just pack in so much, so much content and do some of it, you know, really quite close to the bone. As somebody who is a last minute bitch myself, um, I can really appreciate <laughs> the uh, focus that gives the mind <laughs> to get something done when you have to. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You mentioned rap battles. Obviously, this was less a part of his live stuff at this point, but you said you'd seen him live. How How was it? It was all right. I saw him at Reading Festival. Mm-hmm. So obviously he's doing a set along with a lot of people. And um, it was a D12, the yeah. kind of crew that he had around him. They did a lot of it. And I always felt like D12 <laughs> fell far below Eminem's own individual <laughs> dizzying extreme talent. So I think he had a giant Ferris wheel on the stage. It was good. He sang the main hits, but there was a lot of D12 and I never really rated them much. So <laughs> Where have they gone? That's got to be an odd place to watch Eminem because this was what, early thousands, like 2003, sometime around there. Yeah, one or two maybe. Okay. But that's the time when Reading and Lees was extremely rock heavy, rock metal, that kind of stuff. Mm. So having a rapper at that point in time would have almost been seen to be a bit controversial, I guess, with that crowd at least. It probably was actually. I mean, I guess that's a testament to like just how mainstream or how big Eminem got. I think Blink-182 with Eminem was there. It was all that period. Maybe he even, mm-hmm. I think that's the first time I saw Slipknot as well. Maybe that's because I'm not a festival girl. So they must have all been on the same festival because I think I've only ever been to one. And it was because Eminem was there. <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes sense. You are have made it clear your thoughts on camping on uh, yes. Insult. <laughs> That is a one-day festival, or I did. I got a day pass, staying over. Right, <laughs> because Reading, so you can easily get to it. Exactly. <laughs> God, it's a shit site as well. I hate Reading Festival sites. It's far too cramped. You get sound clashes all over the place, and it's full of fucking idiots pushing over <laughs> portaloos. Oh God! I think they were throwing bottles of piss around. That's always fun. Yeah, that sounds like that. Sounds crowd. like Reading. Mm. Yeah, I only did Reading and Leeds, working them as bar staff, so you got a little bit of separation going on for those. But it was great to go to those festivals. I remember seeing Muse and then Foo Fighters back to back at Leeds Festival, and that was a lot of fun. And then later on in the evening, one of the campsites they set all the porta potties on fire, which was great. <laughs> Came out of the tent where we were drinking in the bar staff area and there was just a police helicopter hovering over the other side of this valley, shooting a spotlight down onto a whole load of shit that was on fire. It's great. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, they didn't get invited back to that site again. <laughs> All right, we talk about influences on this stuff. Were you already a hip hop fan before this or was this an entryway into hip hop for you or just part of the journey? Um, I think it was probably an entryway. So having listened to this, then got into listening to a bit more Dr. Dre, listening to a bit more Snoop Dogg. She does loads of references there. So so yeah, it was a big gateway there. <laughs> Bizarrely, I suppose, I find the story and development and history of hip hop fascinating. And I respect the music, but I don't listen to it loads. Mm-hmm. So I guess I love, I love the story of hip hop more than hip hop. <laughs> is, that, is that weird? <laughs> I just think it's absolutely amazing that this this music came out of what a f- tiny 
block radius, three blocks or whatever it was, like, you know, you've got the triangle Mm -hmm. that just took over the entire world to become probably the most or one of the most influential music styles ever. And I just think it's fucking fascinating. It's terribly middle class of me. (laughs) I don't think it's wrong to be so impressed with that and not so much the music. I mean, culturally... It's incredible, as you say, that it's it's kind of crossed all sorts of borders. It's crossed cultures in a way that music doesn't often do. So, yeah, definitely interesting. And, and it is quite fun reading up on, we mentioned people like Grandmaster Flash and, and that crowd and, and how they've um, how they've worked with the industry kind of giants. And, and as you say, there's a lot of people with a lot of money in the States now. It, it's it's not necessarily a, a poor man's game anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Mm. Totally fascinating. And I'd agree with that as well. I'm certainly more interested in the stories behind and general story of gangster rap than I am actually listening to the the music. Certainly um, straight out of Compton, the film, I was absolutely fascinated by. It was really is interesting, both from a, you know, just a story perspective, but also... I like the fact that they stuck pretty strongly to the truth of what actually happened, even though it was a fictional film rather than documentary. Mm. And and it is fascinating because we're all interested in human stories of people coming from like really shitty backgrounds and having success because of their talent. Yeah, it's amazing. If you haven't read Can't Stop, Won't Stop, so I was looking for it myself by Jeff Chang, it's absolutely amazing book and he goes into detail to contextualize how hip-hop even could come into existence you know he goes into the political history of jamaica america's war on drugs like how um gentrification in neighborhoods works like the absolute scale of his research is mind-blowing it's not a light read like you've got to set time aside to do it read it on holiday but if you find it interesting the development of hip-hop it's absolutely brilliant it's so um it's just complete comprehensive guide it's fascinating cool well thanks for the recommendation and thank you for joining us this week it's been an intriguing and fascinating romp through the marshall mathers lp because yeah i don't think i would have thought about this at all as an album if if you hadn't brought it up so thanks for that and thanks for joining us my pleasure well it's apparently constantly ranked on you know top 500 albums top 300 albums still 20 one years later (laughs) it's been a pleasure thanks for having me on yeah and if people want to find you on instagram twitter where where can they find you to find out more about bunga bunga club and the activities (laughs) of the house of burlesque you've got shows coming up as house of burlesque and as tempest rose right yes hopefully soon i'll be able to make a proper announcement while everyone's just sort of looking at the 19th of july aren't they um for what can be officially announced Nine with her expert timing in the background there <laughs> just as i'm starting to do my plugs Wait. <laughs> so yeah check us out on instagram at hob short for house of burlesque tempest rose hob tempest rose or house of burlesque.co.uk and also check out my podcast with lolo brow called gin salt which rich is the producer of my podcast she'll love you for that yeah she won't <laughs> listen to this <laughs> why would lolo spend more time listening to me talk <laughs> no it's far too much you talking and zero of her talking i know so, yeah, absolutely why would she just not interested at all <laughs> <laughs> cool well again thanks for joining us and thank you lot for listening it's been fun cheers bye Adios. guys thank you for listening to another episode of i might be wrong